Rob Whiten from the Ian Smith Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InnsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Hey everyone, it's me, TV. Just reminding you, we have t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com. Check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we've got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean. Look cool. Have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. You're listening to KZOM, only on public radio. nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head to those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Hey everybody, it is me, D.B. Spitzer, and right over here is Farmer Dave, David Heath. Dave, how the heck is it going? It is going good. And for those of you who are listening to this on Thursday, <laughs> we may or may not have new baby goats. The baby goats are scheduled to first arrive on Wednesday. But do you know the first rule of goats? What's that? Goats are stubborn. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've heard that. I've heard that. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, no, everything's going pretty well in my neck of the woods. Uh, the mayor has ordered some land movers to fill in the collapsed section of the cemetery. Uh, okay, yeah, can't read about that. Um, and also, um, let's see. Uh, we're, we're not supposed to discuss the mysterious lights over six witches woods either no 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 so uh, we are not discussing the mysterious lights over six witches woods no nor the mysterious burrows in the uh, deep in the uh, uh, sinkholes in the graveyard um but yeah no um we can talk about the upcoming uh spring festival 
So look forward to the Spring Festival in... Now, now, now for those of you that are not familiar with Oleander, Oregon, yeah. this is not the spring, like the season spring. No, this is like springs, like in mattresses yes. and cars. Yes. Uh, because there once was a spring factory here yep. uh, that was converted in 1942 into the military springs, which... We're not allowed to talk about no. the military advent use of springs during World War II. So, yes. so uh, let me just tell you something. We're the only people that have redacted holidays. Yes, no. Or no. redacted. Uh, we also have a shoe factory, or had a shoe factory in town, and a spring factory. Uh, doesn't take a genius to try and figure out what the military uh, was trying to do and why we're not allowed to talk about it. No. I don't know. Uh, that's a personal conspiracy around town. Um, but I think uh, it's it just happens to be that uh, anyway, let's 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 But you know on. what we let's are allowed on. to talk about? What's that? What's that? Our guest this week. Oh, we can finally talk about this. This is yes, great. Yeah. Yes. It's it's been it months is in the making. The, one, the legendary <laughs> Ramsey Campbell. Yeah, wow, yeah. No, uh Ramsey Campbell, friend on on social media, uh friend of the show, Ramsey Campbell finally got him on. Uh we've done enough episodes about him. And yeah, no, uh I'm I'm excited. I am super excited. To... So, so they, they they say never meet your heroes? Yeah. No, um, Mr. Campbell Ramsey, he is just completely pleasant oh definitely person very very well spoken but very a true gentleman in the, in the, the truest sense oh certainly so, uh, certainly yeah very fortunate that he was uh willing to be on the show and so we do a little teaser here uh-huh i'm not sure if it's out anywhere else but if you listen to the end of the interview he announces a non-horror project I think will surprise people that hopefully will be coming out this year. And I think if uh, people listen carefully to the interview, they're going to be kind of surprised which this uh, historical work, and it it truly is a a form of pop culture history that he's hopefully going to have out by the end of the year. And I'm not sure he's announced it anywhere else. Whoa. I'm excited. I'm excited. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Look forward to that in uh, this episode. And let's see. What do we got on the uh, chopping block this month, Dave? Well, and this is, this was not prepared. Yeah. But it just so happens that we're in the G's. Uh Uh-huh. And we're discussing two of... Ramsey Campbell's creations. Oh, that's 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 cool. Cause as as some people know, uh, we're we're just kind of like going alphabetically currently uh, these few seasons, and yeah, yeah, we are in the uh, we we just finished Ghouls last week, and this week it's uh, uh, Growoth, and uh, let's see what else do we got. Glocky. Glocky. Oh, wow. Yeah. I like to cover Glocky. We've covered Glocky a few times, but I, I think every time we learn a little bit more and we grow a little bit more, it's, it's you know, we're, we're going with the Ithian method. We're uh, just, we, we just keep going back and forth all around until the we get it. The more we have you know. Glocky on the show, the more he grows in our heart. 
Exactly. <laughs> With a big spike. Uh, <laughs> so, Dave, uh, what uh, what are you uh, what are you drinking this morning? So I had goat's milk. Goat's milk. Oh wow! Did, did you get that yeah. from Uncle Owen's goat uh, goat farm? Yes, I did. Very nice, very nice. And uh, if you're an oleander, you too can get some goat's milk from Uncle Owen's uh, Dairy Farm. And also soap is available as well. I myself am having some copper cow coffee. I am going with the churro flavor, which is a wonderful, wonderful cinnamony coffee. And it's just a quick little pour over. You pull it out, you pour some water in it, you let the water drip out, and it fills the cup. You know, three to five ounces of water is generally what you need. And then you add a little creamer if you want, or if you want, you add a little extra water. And uh, if if you're over the age of 21, you know, why not why not put a splash of something in it uh, to make it? I don't know. Uh, Are you talking it, about goat's milk? I'm talking about an adult beverage, but goat's milk. Oh wow, that would be really good creamer too. Anyway. But yeah, no, uh, Copper Cow Coffee, you can look in the show notes, get yourself some Copper Cow Coffee, and call it a good morning. It's, 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 it's like, uh, breaks down to, like, if you get a subscription of it, if you get a, you know, get a package of it, get a subscription for it, it's like a dollar forty a uh, thing for, like, the black coffee just itself. And I love the black coffee just by itself. No creamer. Boom. And, you know, if you're like, well, I like sugar and I like cream, then you're going to love this stuff. Uh, the black coffee, just an amazing flavor, makes just kind of like a nice base palette for whatever you like to do with your morning coffee. But I like this much. I like that much. Well, psh, figure out how to do it yourself. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not your personal chef. Copper cow coffee. I'm not your personal chef. So we're talking about Glacky today, right? Yes, we are. Okay. So, Dave, uh, I have I've uh, multiple times been accused of being a cultist of Glacky, or having a portrait in my attic of of a much older, gross-looking me. I, I I don't quite age anymore. I, I quit aging sometime around twenty six, twenty seven. But, um, Cultist of Glacky, I mean, that's, that's one of my personal favorite than, than other people like being like, oh, you're like Benjamin Button or something. And it's like, no, uh, but yeah, yeah. Glacky, Glacky. Um, there's a cult. I know that there's a cult of Glacky. There's like, uh, Glacky has its own ghoulies and, uh, his own book. Yeah. The yeah, Revelations of Glocky. Yeah, yeah. So like a bunch of books or is it just one book? So it is a oh, series, series of, of books. scriptures, which could probably yes. be compiled into one book on our floor. But then again, um, Glacky does like to talk. <laughs> and, and so, yes. So um, Glocky is, as I said, uh, Written, uh, created by Ramsey Campbell. Uh-huh. Uh, 
And he is, I believe, first appears in The Inhabitant of the Lake. Yes. Spoiler. He is the inhabitant of the lake. Correct. And he is an outer god who basically looks like if you crossed a slug with a porcupine. As old as the stars themselves, Glacky has a vast reservoir of knowledge. Not only of the supernatural entities that exist on Earth, but those which predate it. Sorry. <laughs> yes, th- that is true. Uh, and then they, you know, they throw people onto him. On, they get impaled by his porcupine spikes mm-hmm. and become zombieish. Ooh, that's yeah. That's that's uh, yikes. So and and um, and uh, Ramsey talks a little bit about this in, in our interview that he he absolutely definitely goes through a Lovecraftian phase, uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and that he wants to sort of make gets to a point where he wants to put his own creatures, his own gods, in this sort of Lovecraft universe. Mm-hmm. And he, he's just a little too young to be alive and active during correspondence sure, during yeah. Lovecraft's life. Mm-hmm. But he's one of the uh, later most influential correspondents with Derleth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the very famous story, and he'll talk about it, where Derleth says, you know, stop setting your stories here in, in America. You're English. Tell us the English stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he still does the things that are required to be a part of the Lovecraftian circle, or and that's create your own book or set of books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so Lovecraft has got you know the the uh, Necronomicon. You know, uh, then of course uh, uh, we have you know uh, the Book of the Worm or Devourous Mysteries. Uh, so everybody gets a book. And so Campbell's book is The Revelations of Glocky. Mm-hmm. And it is written by a man named Thomas Lee. And Thomas Lee um, is sort of a messiah figure. And if I had really been thinking about it, I would ask him this question. His new trilogy is sort of is the history of this messiah figure oh and i wonder you know maybe thomas lee is kind of this um predecessor to the sort of the antagonist in his new trilogy Uh uh um but thomas lee is a cultist who lives by the lake where blocky lives Uh and you're right he receives this revelations he receives this knowledge that glocky shares with him yeah um and so there's 12 books but when they get down to actually print it down volume there's nine yeah um and so the difference kind of of the revelations of glocky um is that this is basically Thomas Lee is Glocky's prophet, mm-hmm. to put it in Judeo-Christian words. Yeah. Um, so where we've got, you know, you do have, you know, uh, Von Zutz and these other people who come out. It's sort of different in that, you know, 
he's not infiltrating a cult like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's not learning magic like abdul al hazarad he's yeah. not translating ancient scriptures he is the direct communication yes pipeline from their god to the cult mm-hmm. and he writes this down and then i believe there is like one missing book that's supposed to have all the the terrible terrible secrets oh yeah oh yeah um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 uh, Glacky is a terrible, terrible thing to humans. Uh, I was thinking about, like, there is a revelation of Glacky in cold print, for even the minions of Cthulhu dare not speak of Yagolinak. Yet the time will come when Yagolinak strides forth from the loneliness of eons to walk once among men. And my thought is, like, did Glacky really say that? Is, like, Glacky afraid of Yagolinak? And that, like, people should be worried about Yagolinak in comparison to Cthulhu? And it's like, wait a minute. What does Glacky know that we don't know and is like, or, or is it just that like Glacky and Yagolinak are both in England so they like have each other's back and they're like, oh yes, no, I, I, we, we, we are both very terrible. Speak to Yagolinak, Yagolinak will tell you the same. <laughs> so, so, so the, there, there's a, there's this infinite rabbit hole you could go down here. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. So, part of it is... So, we assume that this is Glacky. Yeah. But we gotta take Thomas Lee's word on it. Totally, totally. And Thomas Lee is not necessarily a reliable narrator. Correct. Abdu'l Hazarad is not. You know, Abdu'l Hazarad tells us that the Shagath don't exist anymore. Yeah, that's the thing that I was going to say is like, he's this is not the best person to talk to. He doesn't even believe in Shagaths are real. <laughs> so, also, when you get into theology, yes. And there is this question. Uh huh how God communicates with humans. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So does God communicate to its prophets in human language, Hebrew, Arabic, English, whatever? Or does God show visions and the prophets or send feelings or something Mm -hmm. that are closer to ways of thought. Yeah. Does God communicate verbally? Does God communicate psychically? Mm-hmm. And so the question is, if you believe, and I'm not attacking or defending anybody's scriptures, sure. But does you know how does God speak to you? Yeah. If God is speaking to you, does He speak in the Queen's English? Does he speak in feelings that you have to interpret it? Does he show you pictures, you know, or does he tell you, write this down word for word? Mm-hmm. So, for the fun of it, we can go down that rabbit hole. Obviously, English is not Glocky's first language. Yeah. Is these impressions that Thomas Lee and Abdul Al-Hazarad 
and Kamante de Ortele. How does how do these gods communicate? And we see some of it in the dreams that um, you know the sculptor makes in the horror and clay. Yeah, you know that is he, he, he that's an interpretation of his dreams. Mm-hmm. So yes, there is this sort of. You know, even if this is, and I use air quotes here, a divine source, sure, a higher source, yeah. Does he? How is it interpreted? Now that is, of course, this is a completely fictitious universe. Sure, yeah. How the divine communicates with the humans—that's uh-huh. a real theological question, and I'm not quite sure. Sure, Ramsey Campbell was bringing this in, mm-hmm. but that's this huge sort of, you know, rabbit hole. How do these more powerful entities, um, you know, and, and you know, if the dogs are going to write the, you know, the Bible of the Masters, mm-hmm. and the voice said, "I was a good boy. I'm a good boy. I'm a good boy." You know, this is this divine knowledge is being sent to a corruptible and physical human being with this language that robbed 12 other languages. Yeah. But that's kind of a, that's a huge rabbit hole uh, tangent right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, um, I was going to say that on some sort of molecular metaphysical, like, we can't see it because we're not fourth dimensional creatures. Because I, you know, I, I don't believe Glacky is 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 of the same uh, space stuff as we are. I think Glacky's extra dimensional. Uh, but something about Glacky's spines, when we are pierced by them, uh, we we're in direct connection with Glacky. I think it's just like. Uh, either like Glacky is some sort of like created abomination or some sort of like the biggest of its of its species or the only example of its species uh, if, if, if we're going to think about great old ones just as space monsters as we commonly do on this show and, and my thoughts are is uh, the big old spine in the uh, you know Whatever it is that Glacky does that then turns a human into an undead thing also then is probably also giving it a direct connection into its nervous system. It's 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 like whole biological system. Glacky just takes you over. And I think that's how Glacky communicates with you. If Glacky is making it so that you're no longer aging. Glacky is probably also communicating with your brain directly and able to like put pictures in your brain. But I don't know if like if Glacky is like no 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 let me edit this for you. Okay, come on. There there and there. Get get it right. No, no, no. It's it's uh you know just 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 stuff like that and being like no, I wanted you to say about how Yagalanak isn't as cool as Cthulhu, because I know Cthulhu. We both hang out in water. We're awesome buds. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, uh, 
Glocky does kind of come off sort of as the gossip girl of the outer gods. Oh, sure. Definitely yeah. willing to spell some spell some tea. Yeah, yeah. And, and and that of course Campbell uses this as a device throughout his his stories. Uh-huh. So you know he can say you know we know about Yagalanak because there's a revolution a uh, revelation of Glocky about it. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> That's that's pretty cool stuff. That's 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 a, and so, I, I like the idea that it's on notebook paper and it's from the eighteen hundreds, the late eighteen hundreds. But yeah, yeah. So there's a, um, I think that Glocky too has sort of a rebirth in the eighties with the Chaosium role-playing game. Oh, definitely. Because it definitely. makes such an awesome creature. Sure, the first, yeah. The first, um, or one of the first, uh, you know, games that I played as a character in a role uh, called Cthulhu role-playing, it, it was a Glocky story. Yeah. And, and uh, the first story that I sort of read on, I'm not even sure if I, I think I ended up cannibalizing, the first Call of Cthulhu adventure I wrote out was a Glocky and the idea was that, you know, the the adventurers would fly over the lake uh-huh. and they would see it sort of rising. Um, one of the best adventures I ever had was a GURPS, a Warehouse 23, mm-hmm. you know, taken t- during World War II, where uh, the, uh, the team, the Detachment 23, had to basically uh, stop a... a group of Japanese mystics from raising Glocky from a, a lake in Papua New Guinea. Uh, and uh, so I, I sort of teamed them up. The, there was, I think, so I, I teamed like with a team of like 11 Marines uh-huh. uh, because there was like 11 Doctor Whos now. And each of these Marines had the name of an actor who played Doctor Who. Gotcha. And I think they lost like half of them. But uh, with... Um, a comic book character I love was um, uh, Jenny Sparks, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, who who was lives the entire century, uh, the twentieth century. Her power is electricity, uh-huh. and so they end up having to basically uh, electrocute Glock, this uh, version of Glocky. Oh, cool. Uh, so um, yeah, I think that there definitely is a resurgent now. Um, as, uh, you know, we have definitely said with the exception, my understanding, with the exception of the writings of C.M. Eddy, uh-huh. uh, or the, the Lovecraft wrote with C.M. Eddy, all of Lovecraft's stuff is public domain. Yeah. What, what, what did, uh, Lovecraft write with C.M. Eddy? Uh, the only thing that I can think of off the top of my head, uh, is The Beloved Dead. Oh, I, I was think like, he wrote which, about four. Which one's that? What? <laughs> which one's those? The, one of, <laughs> the, the, the Beloved Dead is about the necrophiliac killing a family and living in their house. Uh, okay, all right. But, but uh, we'll, we'll have a see him at episode. Yeah. But um, um, the second generation creatures. Yeah. Are still copyrighted. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, I think that there are very. Um, like whether it be 
uh, yeah, uh, Cthoans are Brian Lumley, and then all the super cool uh, Ramsey Campbell deities and underlings. Yeah, no, that's so, there's some other stuff too. <laughs> and and, <laughs> For and sure. now, now Chaosium, of course, works very well with these people. Yeah, and there are books of. Uh, oh, there are books of. Uh, that um, you know collect other people's short stories versions but um, yeah so the second generation we don't have people writing like they do Cthulhu yeah, yeah. but we do have this resurgence through um, the role playing games especially yeah. Chaosium definitely definitely and uh, yeah no I remember uh really kind of falling in love with the image of Glacky from, I think it was the D20 Call of Cthulhu game and being like, whoa, I like this Glacky. This is a good Glacky right here. So, Yeah, I think that's pretty much Glacky in the nutshell there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's Glacky there. And up next, uh, we're going to be talking to Ramsey Campbell about Ramsey Campbell and Ramsey Campbell deities and whatever else uh, Dave came up with. Uh, and yeah, like I said, and, and stay to the end because there's going to hopefully uh, this year he's going to have a huge pop culture uh, reference history book out. Yeah. that I think people will be surprised. I'm really, really excited. Me too. As well as um, his new book is out now. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. That's 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 awesome. So, yeah, uh, check that out. And after that, you're going to find out how uh, you can use a Ramsey Campbell, I don't know, outer god uh, called Goroth. Uh, yeah. And go wrath, young man. Go wrath. <laughs> oh, that was go west. Sorry. No problem. No problem. All right. We'll see you after the break, everyone. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests, and thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Read review subscribe and remember patrons get priority access to asking us questions suggesting topics even i don't know uh submitting stuff actually you don't have to be a patron to submit anything that's how dave got on the show and that's how you can get on the show too it's the people's guide to the cthulhu mythos rate review subscribe tell your friends thank you for listening Back to the show. So uh, we are really excited about a guest that we are have today, and that is Ramsey Campbell. And, and uh, Mr. Campbell, I think I may have mentioned this. 
you know, I was going through a period in my life where it wasn't bad. In fact, it was a lot better than I thought. But I, the first time in my life where I discovered me time, and some of your books were some of the first things that I started reading when I started developing me time. And uh, I'm sure people tell you this all the time, but just how grateful I was that I could have something to sort of escape the problems I thought were so big that now, 20 years later, it looks so small. So thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks for having me as well. Well, thank you. So I'm also excited because you've got a, a, a new trilogy, a third book out on the trilogy. Uh, can you tell us a little bit, tell our audience a little bit about this? Yeah, well, should we, should we talk about the trilogy in general to, to begin with, maybe, huh? Um, maybe, please. Yes, okay. Well, let, let, let me say this. Um, it, it, it was, I, I have to thank my, my great friend, Pete Crowther, he of PS Publishing here in Britain, because it was, it was you know, it, as a very, it, very basically, it was his idea, to the extent that he, he came to me years ago. Now, I, I imagine we're probably talking about something like 10 years ago at a convention, you know, where we, we often meet up. And he, he, he thought somebody ought to write a, a cosmic horror trilogy, basically, you know, where he felt I should do it. Now, um, I was initially very resistant to this, not because I don't want to do cosmic terror, which is a favorite thing of mine, but I just basically felt um, there has to be a reason to write a trilogy, not just, you know, a very long novel that you then chop into three separate volumes. There's got to be a reason why it is in three volumes. And I, well, for quite a while, for years, I suppose, I, I, it, it seemed to me that, that I, I couldn't find one. Eventually, though, it occurred to me that, Mel, what about following the, the central characters across most of their lives. So, you know, the first volume uh, begins in the in the 50s when they're in their early adolescence. The the second volume is set in the mid-1980s um, when, when, they're, when they're now in adulthood. And the third, well, it, it, you know, is, is, is in their, their, their late years, in fact, it, and it's coming up to something like the present, although actually, I mean, I wasn't to anticipate the pandemic or anything like the, 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 the disasters that are surrounding us now, but, although it does turn pretty apocalyptic in its own way. Um, and in parallel with these three central characters, you know, Dominic and his friends, Jim and Bobby, Roberta, um, we have this cult, the cult of Christ, run by Christian Noble, um, which is basically the, the cult of Deoloth, although disguised initially as a kind of spiritualist church, um, that, that, that is gaining in power over the three successive volumes. Mm. And by the, by the way of the worm, which is the, the one which is, is now just imminent out, out you know, this, this very week, um, the, the cult is, in, is out there in plain sight. You know, it's, it's got um, you know, palatial accommodation on the Liverpool waterfront and elsewhere all over the world. And, and it's, you know, it, 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 uh, politicians and various dignitaries and, you know, uh, celebrities acknowledge their, freely openly acknowledge their membership in it. And, you know, the, the, the fact that it's still keeping secrets about exactly what it does um, doesn't prevent it from being, you know, 
really just kind of overlooked although it's in plain sight or not you know not seen for what it is which obviously you know heaven help us is 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 what we're seeing all over the world you know the 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 the, the kind of descent into irrationality and the you know the espousement of cults particularly the kind that will answer all your questions so long as you you give up the right to ask any and so these were some of the things i had in mind in in the in the trilogy and after this i suppose that there's a parallel with Christian Noble and his developing family, his his daughter uh, and um, grandson, who again, of course, you know, gain in age as, as as the three volumes progress, and again they become a much more powerful entity, and ultimately, um, well, reveal something something either less or more than human about them. And, you know, basically I'm trying to work my way through my, my own mythos that I created, gosh, when I think about it, when I was 16 years old, um, you know, in, in and not, well, in parallel, if you like, with Lovecraft's mythos, or, or if you like my own little contribution to it. But, because, you know, back then, you know, when I, when I wrote my first Lovecraftian stories, I, I didn't just want to recycle um, Lovecraftian entities, um, because I felt, you know, he'd already done those better than anybody else could. I wanted to try to invent things of my own. Um, whether I was equipped to do to do them justice when I was in my mid-teens, I, I seriously doubt, which is why I've come back to them again. Interesting and uh, fascinating. And um, just for those who are listening and are excited, could we get the names of the different novels so that uh, our uh, audience can uh, go in and if they haven't read the first two, uh, look for yes. those, but also that the third one is out now. Yes, yes, just out right now. Well, the first one is The Searching Dead, and that's something that's set in the 1950s, and very much draws upon my experience of living in Liverpool back then. So while it's not strictly autobiographical, a lot of the detail certainly is, you know, from my observation and memory. And and in that one, uh, the, the, the cult exists as the... The, the Trinity Church of the Spirit, which which is a, a well purports to be a kind of spiritualist church that will put you in 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 touch with your your lost loved ones, but but is in fact using the recently dead as a sort of proxy to to go into places where the cultists would not dare to go, and it's kind of if you like it's my variation on the case of Charles Dexter Ward, you know, the the, mm. the, the bringing back to life and the use of the dead um born to born to the dark is the second volume in, w in which dominic has now as i say has grown up got married had a son uh, only to discover that um the son is being drawn in the very young son is being drawn into what is now the the new the new face of this cult and in in the way of the worm as, as i said you know it's now out there in open sight as the as the church of the eternal three but the the eternal three where it sort of reinterprets the bible in, in terms of deoloth my old you know render of the veils my my my, my early creation if you like um uh, and you know is 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 basically leading to 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 an apocalypse and um well, I think I did manage to deliver, you know, the, the cosmic by the end of that novel. Certainly hope so, anyway. Excellent, excellent. And, in fact, you're actually, I mean, Campbell Country is sort of synonymous for taking cosmic horror and putting it in your own backyard. I mean, it's even a, a codified trope. 
Um, what were some of the, maybe these books, but are originally books, what were some of the things maybe growing up or you experienced that uh, helped you create the current situation, but also uh, the Severn Valley? Well, that was more August Durler's recommendation. You see, when, when I wrote the, the first draft of those stories that were collected you know, as the inhabitant of the lake, that first Arkham House book of mine, um, they were set in, in Lovecraft country. They were set in Massachusetts, Arkham, you know, uh, Dunwich and so forth. Um, now, Durth quite rightly said, well, what you need, what I needed to do uh, was, was to, to relocate them to England, somewhere I knew better, because it was very evident that I, you know, had never been outside England and knew very nothing, well, knew nothing about Lovecraft's country other than what I'd read in Lovecraft himself. Um, now, actually, little did Durth know that I'd never been to the Seven Valley either. So um, it, my version of that was pretty fantastical, too, or at least, you know, it was at the very the, the most very most it was a kind of basic sketch of the place based on books that I'd read I, 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 it wasn't until years later that I went there and found well you know in some ways it was it wasn't altogether unlike what I'd invented but um, but the, all that was based on research not not personal observation and, and experience um, but at least, you know, I, I, I did create somewhere new. Now, when I think about it, I could have gone to Chester, which is a lot nearer where I live, and, and I could have visited that, and, and, and that area was similar. Because Dulles did make this point that, you know, the, the old, it was an old Roman area, and the, you know, mm. the, the kind of Roman practices, you know, the, 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 the darker Roman practices could be incorporated into the, into the ideas behind it, which, which was a fine idea of his, and I did try and do that. Um, but basically, I, I invented most of the legends, but I, pretty well all of them. Well, no, actually, to be fair, the room in the castle, the thing about the, the, the Barclay Toad, uh, that, that is a real legend, actually, and, and so, is the, so is the witch of, of Barclay. So, um, I, I, you know, I, even in those early days, I was trying to incorporate, you know, bits of actual legend. I mean, later the folklore on, of the area? Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. I mean, I, I, those were the only two I really found. I mean, the rest of it is, is pretty well invented. But the, the other thing you see I feel about those earlier stories is that um, um, I, 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 I feel sort of guilty. I've always felt guilty that what I did was I took some of Lovecraft's ideas which he had not used, you know. As I said, I didn't want to, to recycle the ones that he had used. But I took bits out of the commonplace book. And I took old Shubanigurath, you know, uh, to pronounce him correctly, I hope, you know. Um, and and basically uh, invented a description of him because I, I asked Earth about this and he, he couldn't think of any description Lovecraft had made of that particular entity. Now, in fact, uh, he, Lovecraft did describe it uh, uh, to some extent in a letter, but it's possible Dearth had forgotten that and not. It was not one that he reprinted in the um, in, in the selected letters, I don't think, or certainly not by the time I was discussing it with him. So I came up and you know made made up uh, a shape for the creature. But frankly, I you know I, I don't think I really did it. I don't think I was capable at the age of you know of, of sixteen to do that proper justice. And the one I've always regretted. Um, was the insects from Shigai now, or Shigai, I forget, depending on how you want to pronounce that. Now that's based on a Lovecraft, I think, I think I'm correct in saying it was the very last note Lovecraft 
put it as commonplace book. It was based on this tremendous dream he had of, of walking in, I think, in the woods near Providence, or certainly in a forest anyway, and meeting a swarm of insects which, which penetrated his skull and immediately set off their own memories of alien vistas, you know, and other planets, other worlds and so forth. Now, it's a tremendous idea, one of Lovecraft's most evocative and, but the thing was, you know, he meant just a swarm of insects, not, not a swarm of giant insects that travel around in spacecraft, which is what, unfortunately, I did with the idea. And, and I regretted that for decades. And so I tried to I, I, I tried to rescue it in a novel of mine, round, well, it's actually around about the turn of the century, called The Darkest Part of the Woods. And so I, I, I tried to use that idea again with, a, I hope, a bit more uh, uh, reticence and a bit more kind of delicacy. And also, I, have to, I would just mention that, again, The Darkest Part of the Woods was a novel of mine that, where the template was effectively the case of Charles Dexter Ward. And I actually you know, refer in passing to Joseph Kerwed in the hope that people will, will, will spot the reference. Wow, yeah, and, and now I'm going to go ahead and reread it, and I'm going to have a completely different perspective. Okay, okay. What other ways, I mean, just obviously as a human being, as we grow older, we change. Yes. What other ways do you think maybe you've changed as a writer? Well, I mean, I suppose the depend, less dependence on Lovecraft. Certainly, you know, in the early days, I, I was I was pastiching Lovecraft in the early stories, that, you know, the early uh, Lovecraftian stories that I did. Although even there, it's it's kind of interesting to me that I seem to have worked through most of the Lovecraftian modes in those early ones. You know, that, so that you know, the the, the something like the the uh, Church in High Street is his kind of florid style. Um, the insects which he gave is very much a sort of pulp kind of. A story but it also tries to do the the you know, the history of an alien race that you find in at the mountains of madness for instance um the horror from the bridge uh has a more sort of sober style so that's beginning to to to, to try and embrace his documentary uh which is approach. personally one of my favorite oh thank sorry you i didn't mean to interrupt you but I, I love that story thank you um, and then they get from from that point onward, really the stories begin to move away. And well, they don't sound that much like me, but they don't sound quite so much like Lovecraft. And even in something like you know the 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 Will of Stanley Brook, I, I was trying to find out. This is something I, I, I do every so often, just as a sort of exercise to see what will happen. You know, to to to, to do without something that I depend on as a writer for the duration of a story, and see what happens then. And of course, the Will of Stanley Brook is is written very, very largely in dialogue and with a completely flat um, affectless prose with no, you know, deliberate avoidance of atmosphere and that sort of a thing to see what would happen if I if I did that. Now, I, again, you see, I don't think I was equipped to do it because the, the characters really come out as a kind of, you know, the sort of characters you would find in a second-rate country house detective story. But it was an attempt to do it. Even then, you know, I was trying to develop what I did. Um, and then gradually, over stuff like, say, you know, cold print, I, be, I began to, um, to do incorporate decidedly non-Lovecraftian kinds of people uh, you know, in a Lovecraftian story. I think that was one of the, the moves that I made. Um, and you know, later on, I, I, I've come back to, to more to my mythos, if you like, my little kind of Bridgester mythos, and, and tried to do it in terms of the, the way I approach things now. 
Um, I am sort of fond of the last revelation of Jackie, that novella I did, um, because I think you know, that that tries to to turn it into a sort of comedy of paranoia, which is you know something I've gone in for over the decades since. Um, but also, you know, I, I had a lot of fun with it. But I, I do hope it it also ultimately works as as a kind of accumulation of you know Lovecraftian suggestion that eventually you know delivers a. Uh, um, you know, uh, an appropriately spectacular finale, and and brings back Aki, and again, I hope does it a bit more justice than I could at, you know, uh, sixteen years old. Yeah, no, excellent. Um, now, I, I wonder though, not only you, but how? Do, what do you think? Sort of asking to look into your crystal ball now, but what do you think the future of horror, or maybe the future of your writing, is going to be like? Ah, well, you see, I'm often asked that question, but I, I have no such prescience, um, you know, I, I mean, I suppose my, my, my flippant answer is if I knew what the future of I was going to be, I'd do it and not tell anybody else till I'd done it, but, you know, I, I really don't know, and all, all I can say about myself is, you know, I try not to repeat myself, I try to develop as a writer, you know, I'm never satisfied with what I've done really well. You know, sometimes I'm for a little while, and then I come back and look at it and think, yeah, I could have done that better. And so, rather than try and rewrite it, which I don't, which I try not to do, again, sure. I, I would, I would rather try and develop maybe that theme again in a different way and see if I can get it you know, that little bit better. As far as the field is concerned, though, again, I don't know, and I, I, I always resist naming people who I admire because. I always think, you know, as soon as I finish doing it, I'm, I'm going to think, oh, Lord, no, I left them out, you know, and those two guys as well. But what I can say is I really genuinely think that we're in another golden age of the field. There's an enormous amount of vigorous talent out there at the moment, you know, both in the, in the, in the, in, well, in the mainstream, um, you know, mass market and also certainly in the independent sector. I mean, there are lots of, of of very fine small presses, you know, who are doing splendid work and and supporting, um, you know, uh, very very talented writers. So and and you know, I think you know, we're obviously seeing more diversity in the field, more more new and varied voices, which is it could only be a healthy thing. Um, so I mean, and I I don't know what the future is going to be, but I hope I live to see it. You know, and that's kind of my answer. I mean. I I I I am just so curious sometimes, and, and to, between you know personally, I kind of yeah. hope I'm surprised. Mm, I yeah, mean I, yeah. I I'm a terrible person. I love being a know-it-all and telling everybody, but yeah. I kind of like to be surprised with the new stuffs coming out. Sure, sure. And I mean, I must admit, for me, this is a different thing, I know, but my, my, my thing, you know, whenever I come to my desk where I'm talking to you right now, uh, you know, I'm up here, well, I'm by sort of six in the morning usually, uh, seven days a week. But when I, whenever I'm writing a new draft, particularly, and even when I'm rewriting, but particularly a new first draft, you know, I want, I want to surprise myself. I want to write something I didn't know I was going to write till I wrote it. And, and uh, I hope that, you know, that, that it comes that way across to the reader as well. Excellent. Now, I have a, this is kind of our signature question for the show. Mm -hmm. We always sort of finish up the, the, uh, the, the interview portion with this question. Yes. Um, if you could be put of any creative project, um, <laughs> Any medium, don't worry after about money, don't have to worry about copyrights, you have complete can charge. What is your dream project? 
<laughs> well, I was a bit stumped by that for a while because I knew you were going to ask me. But I actually, when I think about it, yes, I do have a sort of dream project. Which, as long as we're fantasizing, well, let's hope it happens anyway. Um, if if I, you know, had unlimited funds and unlimited, you know, people to employ and all that stuff, I, I would get together a team of searchers and researchers who could track down the original. Um, preview print of Orson Welles' film The Magnificent Ambersons because what I don't know if you know about this but what happened to that film is to my mind the greatest act of vandalism in the history of the cinema because basically it was a you know, pretty well a two hour movie the one he made after Citizen Kane uh, the, the sneak preview got some very bad car, you know kind of opinion cards from the audience so RKO who produced it uh, took it away from Welles cut half an hour out of it, put on a happy ending, re-edited various sequences, and that's the version, you know, we live with now. And what, what you can see now is like, you know, two-thirds of a masterpiece, basically. It, it would, I think, have been as great as Citizen Kane in its own way. Now, you know, who knows? I mean, out there somewhere in a shed in Brazil or something like that, maybe, you know, there's that one existing copy because supposedly they did send uh, a copy of the preview print to Wells himself, who was over there shooting a, a, another film. Um, and after all, you know, not so very long ago, in, in I think it wasn't a shed or something like this, uh, a print of Fritz Lang's film Metropolis. Yeah, I think that was Argentina. Yeah, well, you know, with an entire 20-minute subplot that nobody's ever seen since it was originally released. And, you know, now we've got that. So maybe somewhere out there is that one copy of the Maximus Ambersons. And, you know, once we find it, then, you know, people like UCLA and their team of restorers can get to work on it. And maybe in my lifetime, they will find that one thing and I'll be able to watch it. So that would be my, my dream. You know what? And, and if you do that, sort of my dream would I would my dream would be to make a documentary about how it was found. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, of course. That's true. Well, I have just we really appreciate your time here and, and I have just really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, uh, anything you'd like to share with our audience before uh, uh, we sign off? Well, I guess I would say, say this, and maybe I can come back and talk about it to you later on, you know, but um, the, the, the next novel up, which will be out in September, is a book called Fellstones. That's just one word, Fellstones, right? And it's, it's another, I think it's another novel of cosmic terror, you know? And I think you will spot that, again, in the background looming is a particular Lovecraft story. Uh, I won't say which one it is, but I think, you know, I've, I hope I've put in enough acknowledgement of, of what it reminded me of while I was writing it to, to for, for nobody to accuse me of, you know, of just sort of barefaced plagiarism, because I think it's more to it than that. Um, yeah, no, no, it, 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 there's a big difference between inspiration and plagiarism, and yeah, I'm yeah, sure you didn't cross the line. No, I don't think so. To be honest, it came out, I mean, I sort of came at the idea of independently. And while I was writing it, I thought, hang on, this is such and such by Lovecraft, you know, in a way, it's my version of it. Um, but, you know, so there's another cosmic horror coming from me uh, later this year. And, uh, yeah, well, I hope folk enjoy that one too. And uh, in a completely different vein, uh, and to shock you, I hope, in, in, in the best way, uh, the other thing that I've got in the pipeline right now, and very close to completing, is a 70,000-word study of the Three Stooges. Oh, so, so again, probably much more personal than you want. 
I grew up in the, the 70s in the L.A. market. And so all these t independent TV stations would buy the Three Stooges and things like that um, and, and show them. And, and so you're, you're, you're talking about my childhood. Oh, well, OK. Well, you see, I, I, the, my book is about how I came to appreciate them uh, very gradually, you know, over the over the decades. But um, the more I looked at them, the more fascinated I become. And also the more I think, you know, it's complete. It's actually, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you there is a connection here because I'd say it's just about as wrong to say about, you know, Lovecraft that all he ever did was say that things were indescribable, use words like eldritch and, and amorphous and tentacled, you know. I mean, we all know how unfair and unreasonable that is, you know, and how much more there is to Lovecraft than that. Like, you know, a very modulated use of language and a, and a supreme sense of structure. Well, I'd say it's just as unfair to say about the Three Stooges that all they're about is knocking each other about because there's a great deal more to them than that. And the more I looked, the more I saw. And actually, I tell you, the book is called Six Stooges and Counting because obviously there were more than three. That's one of the Curly most. Curly Joe and yes. Camp. Exactly, that's right. So, um, so this is a personal appreciation, and maybe it'll be out this year, but, but very soon anyway. Excellent. Well, we would love to have you on again, uh, not only talk about your uh, your new horror writing, but mm -hmm. I would love to have a Three Stooges conversation with you. We're on. You're on, David. Fair enough. We'll do it. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Tin Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher. Or visit MonsterKidRadio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. everyone how you doing hope you're doing well me and dave we're great you're pretty good right dave i'm gonna say i am well you didn't have to deliver any baby goats during the break did you no we have not but uh we did have to deliver some raisins because there were some goats that uh, there are some pregnant goats that are not too happy and they just want these babies out <sighs> but oh well yeah yeah cool I, I i understand that i understand that um 
spring break around here and oh man Dusseldorf and Barbaco are driving me crazy and I want them out of the house but it's raining so I slipped on down to the radio station to record this um, but then I'm going to uh, I don't know Mary Poppins the house with them uh, you know sing you a, you laugh so hard you float on the roof uh, no 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 uh, sing while they clean. Oh, okay. Yeah. Although that would be kind of cool. If you guys were laughing on uh, so hard you were floating to the roof, I might join you. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. I don't know how to do that. I Yeah, I don't, I don't know how to do that. But singing, singing to children while they clean, yeah, I can do that. And people are like, that's not what happened to Mary Poppins. Everything cleaned itself. And it's like, yeah, no, no. Now I stand and go, if you clean, I won't sing. If you clean, I won't sing. If you clean, I won't sing, children. And they're like, oh, you're the worst. And I'm like, I'm going to sing until you clean, until you clean your room. They're like, you're the worst Mary Poppins ever. We wish you never shown up. We wish your umbrella broke. Anyway, so. What uh, what do we talk about? We're talking about uh, Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters right now, right? Yes. Uh, and he, no, we are not. Well, maybe we are. But I do not believe that this is related to Steve Grohl. But since you brought it up. Uh-huh. Do you know what the Foo Fighters were? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're a band in the uh, late 90s. But do you know where they got their, time, their title? Oh, yeah. Um, they got it out of the big book of bands. I don't know. You know, what a Foo, you know what a Foo Fighter is? I don't know, Dave. What's a Foo Fighter? Foo Fighter was the name that was used by World War II pilots to explain glowing lights that we now call UFOs that were following the bombers and fighters over Europe and Japan. Oh, okay. So maybe, maybe there is a connection between the Foo Fighters and Goroth. More likely, though, I have used, and this is a couple weeks ago, Uh I have used Foo Fighters in role-playing games as uh, fire vampires. Oh, yeah. And I think, oh, goodness, I'm trying to remember where it comes from. It comes from a comic. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Snuffy Smith, where there's Foo, there is fire. And Foo is uh, short for Fume, which is French for smoke. Where there's smoke, uh, smoke, there's fire. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I I, I, I kind of knew knew what a Foo Fighter was, just but it's like I didn't know how the Foo Fighters got their name, what they based it off of, if they based it off of the air, uh, the air, uh, the, uh, the the UFOs or the uh, yeah. <laughs> what? All right. Cool. Cool. So uh, yeah, uh, Goroth. So Goroth is an outer god. Dave, what's an outer god? So an outer god is the opposite of an inner god. Okay, cool. So these are these very powerful galactic beings that the term god may not be appropriate, but compared to human beings, it's like a human being to an ant. So at least to us, even though they're alien, they are godlike okay and especially up here is this is sort of the 
ultimate in Lovecraft's rejection of little green men, uh-huh. people with antenna and pointy ears. Sure, sure. This is an alien that by nature is so big, it's as big as a planet. Okay. And I think the closest we're going to sort of see uh, this is in uh, the Marvel Universe. Okay. Ego, the living planet, Galactus. Yeah. These are huge, giant, sort of powerful aliens. Entities, yeah. Exactly. Um, And, I mean, he's also believed to have um, uh, destroyed the dinosaurs. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I want to... I, I just, I, it's like, if if I see that name, I know it from, like, books as, like, uh, from role-playing game books as, like, the planet with an eye. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. And then it's like, I, uh, a couple years back, I looked into it, and I was like, oh, okay. Huh. That's what it's from. And then I read the story, and I'm like, oh. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, no, it's I, I guess uh, it's it's a uh, outer god, and I guess other outer gods are what like um, Yog Sothoth and uh, Shub Nigroth. Uh, yeah. So um, trying, I always sort of get them confused with, you know, and there's always some question, but Shub Nigroth. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite, um, Ubo Salah. Yeah. Um, trying to think of, uh, there's always this question, which side elder, uh, thing or, or is, uh, not a hotep. He seems to be, or at least claims to be all of the above. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, even Azathoth himself is a, an outer god. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, Narlathotep, we'll, we'll have to talk about that one when we get to get to the ends. When we get to the ends, and then we'll be doing like a year of Narlathotep. So <laughs> I'll learn how to say it right, even. Yes. And uh, yeah, no, I feel like we'll be doing like a month or two of Narlathotep. Um, let's see. So, uh, Goroth, um, Dave, how would you use Goroth in your game? So there's a couple of things and I'll tell you, it's not meant to be, but the thing that reminds me, um, the most of say of Goroth Uh is a, a, one of the first Rift's world books, uh, Wormworld. Okay. I'm not, or Wormwood. Sure. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. No. So it's it's Rifts is sort of this cyberpunk slash dragon slash apocalyptic world where yeah. there's different dimensions. Uh-huh. And one of them mentioned it's sort of it, it, it's kind of medieval, but it's on this living planet. Oh. Okay. Where good and evil is fighting, and, and and I kind of and they were like on this planet. There's these huge deserts. That are described basically like the planet's version of a fever. It's okay. trying to get rid of these invading, you know, viruses, which are these demons and stuff, uh-huh. by creating deserts. Uh, 
And so I, I kind of see that as when I first think of role-playing games uh, with uh, Goroth. And, you know, I would, I would kind of maybe love to have a world uh, or a game, a D&D game or something on on Goroth. Set it on there, on, on a living, oh, intelligent wow. world. Yeah. Whoa, that would be a... That 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 yeah yeah no no for uh, like a spelljammer campaign that would be pretty cool, uh, for like a uh, planescape a uh, plane jumping campaign that would be pretty cool or even just like the realization that your the desert planet that you've been living on for the last how many ever years is 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 a big living planet yeah no no. <sighs> And your your whole adventure is to get to the sea, and you discover that the sea is not a sea, but a a, a thousand kilometer eyeball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I, I was thinking you could you could even do something along the lines of I mean, there's a lot of like magic to move around from time and space, fly around, do all kinds of things, project all kinds of stuff. What if you had like some sort of like I don't know warlocks that were more or less like the Green Lantern Corps and got their power from the planet they lived on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> or, or if you're doing a, a superhero campaign, yeah, you know, and you don't want to go quite in the Marvel term, but you want to use, you know, uh, you know, some sort of, um, you know, destroyer or the universe, but you don't want to use the Marvel names. Sure, you know, sure. Substitute, substitute it with, you know. Uh, Goroth, you've got some street cred that some people will know what it is, but mm-hmm. not not know as well as say Galactus. Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, definitely, definitely. And I think Goroth is a bit scarier than Galactus. Galactus is a a dude in a helmet who's massive and scary and huge, but like an entity the size of a planet that has an eye and shows intelligence but the 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 affirmable prize or whatever the the human form uh-huh uh uh of you know not of um galactus uh-huh it humanizes them makes it easier for artists but it also nikes them down to we can he's not as scary because we can relate to him yeah he's got eyes he's got Hats, where Garth, it's much harder to relate. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 uh, it's it's easier to relate to. Yeah, no, no. This is this is. Uh, I I'm like thinking. It's like what what do we pull out of uh this to like throw at D and D? It's 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 a lot more interesting, or not interesting, but a lot more surprising to players. Maybe more interesting to dehumanize your enemy i mean you you okay say say you have a bunch of aliens come to your planet and they're all like i don't know like look like john travolta it's not very scary john travolta with like blue skin and tentacle hair dreadlocks dreadlocks not very scary uh or or you have like uh people in like red jumpsuits and hats 
uh, you know, like in V, that's not very scary. It's when they become dehumanized and you find when out you they're lizard the people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like Starro in the Suicide Squad is pretty scary. I mean, they make it a pretty goofy movie, but once you realize what's going on with, uh, I mean, it's very brutal, the movie itself. Um, but once you realize what's going on with Starro, it's like, oh, that's no that's no good uh there's there's like uh alien invasions that are more scarier than others and othering and having an other in this in this state like having like you know it's like i don't know these old movies were about communism and racism and stuff like that but honestly uh having an other is pretty darn scary <laughs> not knowing who you can trust and having like a space entity that can change things around you who knows what goroth's abilities are when you're on goroth uh who who knows what so, so here's a scary thing for sure, you yeah what happens when the color out of space lands on Goroth? <laughs> it goes, wait a minute, where's the water? Or it, then it sees the eye and goes, aye, aye, aye. <laughs> That's for a really, really, really bad campaign. <laughs> I don't know, Dave. I don't know. But um, mm-hmm. that... Or, or, or are the color out of space from Goroth? Uh, they, they could be Goroth eye boogers. <laughs> but or not no, like there could be things living in the crevices and the cracks in the eyes of Goroth who knows what that is um but no uh Goroth's like big thing is waking up any great old ones on the or outer gods uh sleeping on the planet it passes so if you've got a bunch of great old ones trapped on your planet asleep like we do um that's that's a huge horror knowing you know knowing that you have a bunch of trapped great old ones on your planet and that there's this thing coming that you can't stop because it's 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 the size of a planet uh also what happens when goroth enters your atmosphere i mean it, you can be playing D, but still a second uh, you know a second planet in your system a second planet uh, like, you know, a planet getting really close to your uh, planet or moon or whatever. It's going to mess up your oceans. It's going to mess up your tidal stuff. It's going to mess up. It's going to block light. It's going to do all kinds of stuff. Uh, and it's like, who knows what else? Maybe it has an eye laser. Uh, maybe it can do something with its eye clap, you know, some sort of like power move where it goes. I, I, oh, what if it's what if it's a huge giant beholder? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. What if it's a huge like mother of all beholders? Uh, what if it can pull its eye in and reveal a mouth and like actually take chomps out of worlds like I always imagine Galactus doing? But I know that's not how he does it. <laughs> um. Yeah, no. Uh, what if there are a bunch of things living on Goroth that if it gets close enough to stuff, it, they can jump off like kind of like uh, fleas or something and go to the next planet? Uh, 
could be all kinds of monsters uh, spawning and breeding and fighting and battling and drinking from the eye of Goroth. Uh, I mean, maybe it gains sustenance from uh, waking up uh, great old ones. Maybe it feeds off of great old one energy, and that's why it seeks out places full of great old ones. I mean, it's 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 an entity that it exists. I doubt it's uh, you know going to planets for with great old ones for no reason. It's not like it's like oh, got gotta wake up, got gotta go to work, gotta wake up some great old ones and outer gods. He's more than the Great Old One's alarm clock. Yeah, he's more than the Great Old One's alarm clock. It's like he finds a Great Old One and is like, oh, I'm going to zap up its wake-up energy. You know, it's like I'm going to wake it up and the energy that it uh, shoots out, I'm going to absorb a bunch of it. And that's how it uh, does its thing. Because otherwise, it's just searching out planets. It's searching out various systems. And how fast is this thing moving if it's able to go from this place to that place? I mean, it is an astronomer who finds it, but still. And does it does it travel like in warp speed and then yeah. when it gets into a part near does it drop planet, into subspace? It... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, no. And um, if you're playing some sort of like game like Star Trek, imagine, you know, it's like this is a little bit different than your gaseous god entities. This is a little bit different than your uh, faces floating in space. This is this is a living planet. And I'm sure they've dealt with living planets on Star Trek. But this is a living planet that, you know, who knows what would happen if uh, Goroth uh, was in Star Trek? But this is this is a way to like in in your uh, space opera game. This is a way to land on Goroth and fight with little monsters that live on them, which are probably huge monsters in comparison. Um, maybe Goroth has no idea that monsters live on it, and when it goes near planets, it's just trying to wake up old ones and get their energy and like these uh i don't know rancor like monsters these big old death claw things jump off or maybe uh swarms of eye things maybe this is where uh flying pull-ups come from they're 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 the uh eye goo of uh goroth i mean <laughs> yeah uh, like i said i, I Definitely, and we know that. Uh, I think it's the Shan world is devastated by it. Definitely, definitely. What if this is like the Beholder home world in D and D? It's yeah. it's it's a home world. It's a god. It's 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 both. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, you could. Yeah, uh, you have a, a mobile world uh, that has all kinds of stuff but yeah no uh it it, it took out the sean's homeworld, another ramsey campbell creation i believe um the the uh insects from shagai it took out shagai it took out that whole system uh all of the uh races that the uh sean had enslaved uh their planets were destroyed as well and that could be, you know, maybe maybe Garoth is the catalyst. Oh yeah. Of your campaign, that these other creatures you you don't see Garoth, but 
it's it's making all these other creatures flee sure yeah to the plane or the dimension that the players are in and so you know he has this great influence on the story but never directly appears yeah Ooh. yeah i like that i like that um just you know people talk about how when the stars come right um they could be totally wrong and just be talking about goroth when when goroth comes near not the stars come right i was thinking it's like goroth can be like a messed up translation uh you know the necronomicon could be talking about goroth and you know just like totally mistranslated <laughs> when when goroth comes by stuff gets weird <laughs> <laughs> it wakes up all of... And the weird get going. Oh, yeah, yeah. It wakes up all the space monsters, and then it sucks up all their energy. I really like that idea. Like, if Goroth and Godzilla came by each other, Godzilla would, like, blast it, and it'd be like, oh, cool, thanks, brah, and then fly off, being like, oh, man, that was good. Monster energy. Drinks. Yes. Is not a sponsor of this show. No. No. Um, yeah. Uh, anything else? Like I'm, That's I'm, really all I've got for Goroth today. Yeah, I'm, I'm like thinking you got a planet-sized monster, you know, you put stuff on it, make stuff jump off of it, make it affect things. It's like all, all, all the stuff that like great old ones and outer gods are known to do. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like... I don't think anyone worships it. Um, maybe other outer gods are familiar with it and are like, oh yeah, Korath does great stuff. Uh, not really a god of uh, time or space or uh, fertility or anything. I guess kind of like, uh, I don't know, the, uh, the god of, all right, time to wake up. Yeah, I, I, well, it's the harbinger of the end. So, in ways, it's kind of I think, and this is the human interpretation. Sure, sort of sure. An entropy god, or the god of decay or destruction. Yeah. Or even a god of maybe change, but yeah, I don't think other than like, you know, the lone crazy people. I don't think there's a a particularly cult of it. No. But you know, let's say though. Let's say, um, let's say that you're doing like a, a near future or a cyberpunk uh, campaign. Uh-huh. You could have a gang cult that worships it. It's not real. Oh, yeah. Not even necessarily real. Yeah. But you know this this cult thinks that it needs to you know cause destruction to bring Goroth or appease Goroth. Uh, yeah. Maybe because of natural disasters that are happening, tidal waves, earthquakes, you know, uh, horrific storms, like just like thinking that like whatever post-apocalyptic near future current day um, climate change stuff that's happening is a result of a Goroth and, mm-hmm. you know, the harbinger of the end of days. I, I, I really kind of like that, Dave. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, no, no, the no. players don't the players don't know if it's real or not. They don't know if it's real or not, but it's it's like, yeah, no, we've been worshiping uh, this guy or, you know, appeasing it by doing sacrifices and fighting off climate change. 
and you could or or these terrible storms or these volcanoes or whatever you could heck you could put that in any campaign setting if you have volcanoes if you have tsunamis if you have earthquakes if you have like shoot even like drought and like tornadoes and tsunamis you can just like be like oh yeah no there's this eye eye planet that is out there you can see it with the telescope and it's making all this stuff happen and it's told us if we do these things it'll stop it'll go away <laughs> you know it's like and, so and that's that's the, the sort of the hardest the villains that think they're doing good yeah yeah and it's it's like maybe you can prove that goroth is there and like mess up the person who doesn't believe you and then they'll go oh you're right we do need to do this like oh, what if the crazy person or like the cult leader all the cult leader needs to do is show hey this i thing exists this i thing has been like tracked down there's there's like stories of other cultures and other civilizations there's an ancient civilization of people that existed back when the dinosaurs existed they wrote about this thing it killed the dinosaurs it killed them they they're able to travel into the future to avoid being killed by it again um they they skip time to avoid this thing man and you know he's like you bring up a few things and it's like and that's why we need to kill people and then it's like oh my goodness throw in uh late night volleyball and uh sleep deprivation and you got yourself a cult baby <laughs> yep <laughs> so yeah yeah i guess hey goroth uh go start a cult in whatever campaign but not in real life because i did not tell anyone to start a cult ironically there's, there's enough of those out there already yeah yeah um and if you do start a cult don't bring me into it please i don't have time for anything <laughs> um, and i think that's that's it for uh this this uh amazing episode of people's guide to the cthulhu mythos your hosts have been db spitzer that is myself and david heath uh to my virtual right across from me and uh we are brought to you by copper cow coffee and a slew of other sponsors that you can you can check down on the show notes and find out more about music as always is by db spitzer and anything you have to say before we uh ride off to that dark night there dave no, but uh, have a good have a good one, and we may have goat babies for the next episode. All right, all right. Thank you, and also special thanks to Ramsey Campbell for coming on to the show. Super great to have you on the show. Thanks again, Ramsey. Just a reminder: we do have join a cult shirts in our uh, shirt shop. If you go to pgttcm dot com and also we have that really cool uh Rallier charles uh tell your ma tell your pa i'll ship you down to sothagua uh available still so check out pgttcm.com and buy yourself a t-shirt uh, subscribe to our i don't know sus- subscribe to the blog subscribe to the apple subscribe to the Podbean, subscribe to us follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, 
And yeah, thank you again. And thanks again to Ramsey Campbell. And thanks again to our patrons. And you can become a patron by going to the patron link in the show notes. Uh, patrons get an unedited uh, access to an unedited shows, uh, including unedited interviews. So, yeah. All right. Thank you again so much. And we'll see you next time. Produced and edited by T.P. Spitzer at the KZOM Studios in Oleander, Oregon. Dave's part is recorded at Uncle Owen's Farm, just outside of Oleander. And music, of course, is by T.P. Spitzer. Thank you again so much for listening to the show. And check out pgttcm.com, where all of our stuff is connected. Thank you.